Welcome to another episode of Life as a Nephrologist podcast. I'm Sam Kent, a transplant nephrologist at Johns Hopkins. We're now witnessing a change, a massive change, in fact, in how education is delivered. Uh, innovative methods now exist outside the classroom and beyond the medical wards. Nephrology is leading the way in this cause, as we can see on multiple platforms, including social media. Our focus today is a journal issue of the Advances in Kidney Disease and Health, formerly called Advances in Chronic Kidney Disease. This issue was titled Nephrology Education for the 21st Century. We have two guests today who edited the issue, Dr. Leisman and Dr. Patel. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having us. My name is Stacey Leisman, and I'm a general nephrologist and medical educator at the ICOM School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Uh, in addition to my role as a nephrologist, I am also the course director for the medical school's physiology course that all students will take. And I'm the director of the pre-clerkship curriculum, overseeing content delivery, and I'm currently co-chairing the pre-clerkship redesign phase that we will be implementing in 2024. Hello, my name is Nirali Patel. Thank you for inviting me here today. I am a transplant nephrologist and a medical educator at the University of Cincinnati. Specifically, I am the co-course director and of the second year medical student renal block, which is everything kidney in the first two years of medical school and the associate program director of the nephrology fellowship here. Excellent. Thanks both for being here today. But since the focus um, today is the journal issue, could you tell us more about it and what really inspired the selection of articles? I personally have to say I've enjoyed going through all of them. I actually had seen this uh, many months ago itself, and you know we're now recording the podcast. So oh, very, very curious to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks so much. As you mentioned, the issue did come out in November 2022. And it really arises from a need to revamp how we think about nephrology education. And not just in the undergraduate medical space, but also in graduate medical education and continuing medical education due to many changes in the way nephrology is taught and practiced. We didn't want to just talk about the why it's needed. I think everyone is aware of why it's needed. We wanted to create a journal that described how to do it. In Undergraduate medical education, or UME, there has been huge changes in curricular design with a focus on lifelong and self-directed learning, shortened pre-clerkship timelines, and a focus on the content needed for all doctors rather than internists or nephrologists. And in GME, there's really been changes in the needs of a 21st century nephrologist. And in CME, we need to recognize that the clinical demands of physicians are really pulling people away from education. Yes, and everyone is grappling with this. We wanted to write on best practices. So when we were reviewing and editing this issue, we wanted the authors to focus additionally on how their curriculum or ideas can be implemented at other programs around the country. Additionally, there is a huge shift towards uh, DEI and anti-racism efforts, and people wanted to know how to do it appropriately and um, incorporate it into their, their curriculum. You know, you mentioned in undergraduate medical education, you know, there's a shortening of the curriculum and need for active learning. You know, myself as a medical student, I did find nephrology pretty daunting. I think that was the part that I really took on with, with a big cause. But how do students can really self-direct this learning? You know, be I think the listeners would really like to know what this actually means. That sounds 
like a challenge we are all grappling with. Renal physiology has been identified in numerous surveys as being the most difficult part of nephrology. And I think we've had an over-reliance on things like memorizing, memorizing the channels, memorizing the transporters. But we really need to incorporate higher levels of learning and limit the rote memorization to where it's only necessary. And on this, Mel Honig, Stuart Lecker, and Jeff William from Harvard gave a real fantastic actionable model of how they teach renal physiology. And they do it in a very innovative way. They give students data and diagrams from seminal experiments in renal physiology, and then students interpret that data. And what they find is by students interpreting data, it leads to these aha moments uh, in their understanding of renal physiology. And it also improves their ability to read graphs. It improves their graphical literacy. So they may have a graph of what happens to a patient's serum or urine osmolality when vasopressin is given and the patient drinks a lot of water or the patient doesn't drink a lot of water. And it's really in those moments that the students better understand renal physiology. So I think it's important to give them a hook. And the hook would be starting to show them the experiments and therefore leading to self-directed learning. You know, there's another issue that we've noticed in nephrology, right? As we know, kidney disease is on the rise and the workforce has declined with a notable decline over the past decade with fellowship matches. We've now shifted over the years to focus so much on recruitment. Where are we now and where do you see this focus shifting again? Yes, so you're right. Over the past few years, we have all seen this visible decline in uh, fellowship positions being filled, and and it's still ongoing. So, for example, in the 2022 year, 30% of the nephrology positions in the NRMP, which is the National Residency Match Program, went unfilled on match day. Uh, Some of those spots were filled later on in the scramble, but a third were unfilled on the day that the, the match date occurred. So we know that programs are trying to be more or appear more appealing to future candidates and have expanded their curriculum and even have adjusted their call schedules and policies for this. Uh, where to go in the future kind of looks back to where we were before this decline. So Dr. Rachel Hilberg, Jordana Cohen, and Dan Negoyanu wrote uh, this paper love of nephrology among medical residents, education over recruitment. And I love this title. They're, they, they are at the University of Pennsylvania and they have this curriculum for their internal medicine residents to teach nephrology in their first year to become better internists overall. And it, it's not about trying to, to get the residents to go into nephrology or, or make them nephrologists. So in their summary statement, which, which I also love, in quotes, uh, nephrology education among internal medicine residents will be better received if it focuses on creating great internists rather than future nephrologists. So as educators, like I said, we ought to emphasize more on creating better doctors. So in this current medical climate, with our field being so interdisciplinary, those going into other disciplines need to have a broader understanding of kidney disease. And as we have these new therapies and therapeutics, such as the onconephrology area, this is really important to make sure that each and every person going into internal medicine or or one of the subspecialties has a background in nephrology. And, And who knows, this approach may help our recruitment 
in the future and, and turn that around. So I think that's an interesting experience um, with uh, the University of Pennsylvania, as you mentioned. But when we're honing into fellow education, how are the fellowships adopting the changing focus of the nephrology fellowship? I think there have been articles in this uh, edition as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yes. So with changes and advancement in the field, like we talked about, um, we also, you know, covering this recruitment issue, we know that programs are expanding their curriculum, focusing on more relevant and interest specific areas for their fellows. So Dr. Greenberg, Dr. Porafshar and Choi wrote about the home dialysis education program and the point of care ultrasound teaching and other collaborative educational experiences at their programs. And there's also with, with our with our aging population, it is important to have like a palliative care education. Other programs also offer a geriatric fellowship collaboration or critical care tracks for their fellows. And um, Dr. Jane wrote a paper in, in this edition where at the UNC, so University of North Carolina, they have this medical education pathway, which they have embedded medical education in their second year of fellowship to, to create or give an advantage um, for the next generation of trained medical educators. So as we keep adding more to the curriculum and adding these clinical experiences, we know that areas such as procedures are being reduced and being discussed to be eliminated from requirements. We are moving away from biopsies and line replacements and into further subspecialization in recognizing the importance of quality of life, uh, whether that means increasing the number of patients, opting for home dialysis modalities, or, or conservative care with palliative care. So, so it's just trying to tap that balance between what we need to add but also we need to also figure out how to take away some things because we only have a two-year fellowship at the end of the day. And I think as our patient's complexity increases and technology improves, we should really be harnessing that technology in the way that we care for patients. A really good example of this is point-of-care ultrasound, which has become ubiquitous in practice. Um, and in both taking care of patients and clinical decision-making. So how can we ensure that our renal fellows develop competency and proficiency in using these tools? And we recognize that not every program may have the resources or faculty to put point-of-care ultrasound into their fellowship programs. So what this paper talked about is ways that fellows can get this training outside of their program. There's a number of excellent free resources out there that fellows can partake in to get some of that training. And while it wouldn't replace a formal program, it certainly would bring them up to speed on some of the ways you can interpret or use point-of-care ultrasound. You know, I think one of the solutions that are being thrown out there is whether or not, you know, having more subspecialty care in nephrology will probably enhance education and care, but I also do worry about the loss of the general skills that the nephrologist also has. Um, you know, being prime educators, um, how do you think we can balance this? Have getting good subspecialty care in nephrology, but also making sure you're the best general nephrologist around. 
So I think there's maybe different ways we can incorporate that. I think one of the things that our fellowship programs do very, very well is have fellows rotate through a broad swath of uh, specialties clinics. And with that, you will get access to a tremendous amount of bread and butter nephrology. But my program, when I was a fellow, we had line service electives and biopsy electives. And as a practicing general nephrologist, I don't do those things. Um, so I do think there is space to add in some of these features that almost all nephrologists will see, palliative care nephrology, home dialysis. There is space to put that in. So in nephrology, now there's, you know, it is a busy specialty, right? In the end, there's a huge pressure from institutions to maximize billing uh, in the era where we're trying to make sure that, you know, institutionals also stay um, fiscally afloat. How do we ensure that these pushes don't crowd out the education for our learners? You're absolutely correct. And what's remarkable in this issue is we asked Katie Kwan, who's a private practice nephrologist, to write a piece on how to incorporate education into a community-based medicine residency. Because many of the data out there involve these really large academic institutions with large fellowships. And maybe we are neglecting some of these community uh, community practice doctors who are seeing a lot of patients and educating a huge number of internal medicine residents, 12,000 internal medicine residents are at community-based programs. So how can a private practice nephrologist help educate them? And she's developed a model that is cost neutral, that allows uh, internal medicine residents to be taught nephrology. She focuses a lot on dialysis, so they better understand what an outpatient dialysis unit looks like, what it's capable of handling. And what she's found is it's been a tremendous recruitment tool. Many of these community-based residents didn't realize that academic fellowships would consider them, and now are considering and joining careers in nephrology, which is phenomenal. And what she's also found is they go out into the community and teach nephrology in their primary care practices, in their internal medicine residency primary care practices. So she's spreading knowledge uh, throughout these practices, even when they're not nephrology practices. Okay, so uh, stepping off uh, that question, where a big part of medical education that we don't talk about enough is our, our nurse practitioners and our physician assistants, so our advanced practice practitioners. And, and we have seen an increased reliance on them in nephrology, whether it's in our dialysis units, our inpatient care, our outpatient clinics. And there's just been a dearth of nephrology-focused education for them. And so we asked uh, Amy Sears, Jane Davis, and Kim Zuber, who are nurse practitioners and PAs, to really discuss this and, and they describe uh, the, the history of the NP and the PA training in the past and, and where it's come from. And they also describe the efforts that have been put forth in the past in trying to, to increase their nephrology education, um, whether it's through different societies, through different institutions, and then they go on further to, to show how a lot of that never really panned out or, or worked out because 
the challenges in creating this, these ideal programs include a, the lack of time, B, the lack of mentors and educators, and C, the, one of the bigger factors is the lack of funds. And so they, they do describe some or do list out some places where there is some education efforts going on. So at NKF or ASN, the different, the different um, programs that they have. But as of right now, there's nothing that's standardized. There's nothing um, that is out there for them to, to use. So an, an advanced practice practitioner who comes into nephrology in any of the settings and in dialysis and transplant comes in with with the experience that they've had on the job and that's about it so that's an area that i think we have a lot of potential to grow as well especially as as they're being in the in the field a lot more so, you know, we've discussed so many interventions um, that could help education and teaching. Moving forward, what is, what is that one area that you can say we'll, we can all focus on and that can make a difference on an individ, individual level uh, when it comes to having a big impact on our teaching? I think one area that we can focus on is uh, anti-racist teaching, which has been a lot in the news, focuses on DEI efforts. and. Well, I think the majority of people would agree that that's critically important. There's a big gap in believing it's important and knowing how to actually implement it in your day-to-day teaching or day-to-day care of patients. So one of the papers that we included was a how. So when you are teaching about HIVAM, are you saying that being Black is a risk factor for HIVAM? Because what that's really doing is it's saying that race is biology. So how could you teach that better? And I think people don't have the tools to learn or the tools to know what to do when race has been listed as a risk factor for things for many, many years. And so what this paper does, written by Paloma Orozco-Scott, Gerald Catlett, and Karina Saya, is gives you the tools to assess your knowledge and to implement this anti-racist teaching in, in your own work. Well, thank you, Nirali and Stacey, for sharing your insights on education and nephrology and editing this interesting edition of Advances in Kidney Disease and Health. Thanks so much. Thank you. To the listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you will join us for the next episode of Life as a Nephrologist. Thank you all.